one if you want me to. I will grab this guy if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so most of you, um, I'm sure, have either uttered the statement, I'm satisfied you have after some observation, or it has been uttered about you. Um, and it generally doesn't start with when he says jump, she says how high. Most of the time, it's the opposite. It's when she says jump, he says how high. Um, that is sort of the relationship uh, that I feel like I have with Patrick. Um, when Patrick says, hey, Devin, I need you to jump, uh, I say how high. Uh, what do you need me to do? And I am uh, pretty much always willing to drop whatever and be at Patrick's uh, beck and call or at our Safe Harbor's uh, beck and call. I don't know that it's healthy to give someone that much permission over your life. You're supposed to just really only have one person. She's with me that has that permission, uh, and certainly she does, but Patrick uh, shares that some with her, and uh, it goes without saying, <clears throat> and I won't go on and on about it, but how much we love Patrick and Miss Cammie uh, and all of you here at our Safe Harbor, uh, what you mean to us. Um, we uh, feel so akin to you. Um, we have a, a couple with us, of course, who planted Hope Church along with us way back in, uh, at the end of 2014, first service was in 2015, and so they're here with us today, and we're delighted to have them with us. But, but we can understand and appreciate uh, the journey that you guys have been on and continue to be on, and it's amazing to see the growth not only so much that you've had here physically, as has already been mentioned, because logistically you kind of, you just kind of meet here out of the graciousness of the, the host of this home, but that you are a worldwide congregation, and that's an amazing thing. And I listen to Patrick two or three times every week, Monday morning and Wednesday, Sunday, and he talks about all the check-ins from around the world. And I know that y'all are watching Patrick in several, uh, in, in one location, but people all around the world. So it's amazing. Uh, it is amazing what you are doing. It, it, it really is. Um, I find that as I get older, things <clears throat> change about my life, and, and, and you probably have felt the same thing. Uh, uh, things tend to get a bit grayer, <clears throat> sometimes a little less of it. Uh, you have some aches and pains and all of that. Um, I don't know that I I've, I've, would consider myself, certainly as a young person, to have been an extrovert. I, I really wasn't. I was pretty shy, timid. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. I had acne real bad, all this stuff, just awkward. Uh, and so I, I wasn't an extrovert at all, probably until I got to be in my mid-20s or 30s. And then I began to come out because I was a pastor, and so you kind of have to do that. But as I get older, I feel like I'm going back, that I'm becoming more of, of, of an introvert again. And I know that Patrick says the same thing about himself, that he's really an introvert at heart, and it's, it's a struggle for him to get up, it, you would know it, uh, to get up in front of folks and, and to speak. I often wonder, um, and, and I surmise, about what Jesus was like. And I'm satisfied that he probably had a very healthy, safe balance of not being too much one or the other. Uh, that he had uh, his extroverted side, no question about that. And that he had the ability to be in the midst of thousands of people as we read about in the Gospels on more than one occasion, whether it's feeding folks or turning water into wine at, a, at an amazing occasion or casting out, whatever it was. He was very comfortable being in the middle of a lot of folks. You could drop him in the middle of Nayland Stadium on a fall Saturday afternoon, and he would be comfortable there. Or drop him in the middle of Nissan Stadium when Garth Brooks is singing. He, he would have been comfortable in the middle of 
hundreds of thousands of people, but I think he also had that introverted side as well. And he enjoyed, he looked forward to the moments of being able to be in solitude, uh, the moments of being able to go into his prayer closet as it was, to go up on a mountain by himself. And I think that's healthy. I think it's something that, that we all need to do. And even though Jesus could love the multitudes at one time, even though he could take thousands of people and just embrace them verbally, um, I think that he probably, and maybe we probably, do some of our best work when we just love folks one at a time. I, I think we do our best ministry. We, we do our best evangelism. Maybe on occasions that we didn't have scheduled, that weren't in our calendar. You know, I plan on meeting this person in the shopping line, and I plan on having a conversation with them, and I plan on my life being changed. Those are the most amazing encounters that we have, those that we don't plan on. Those one-on-one -on -one moments where we stumble into someone's life, where they stumble into ours for one reason or another, and in a very short order of time, and in a very short amount of time, we find ourselves in their life and entrenched in what's going on with them. And before you know it, you find yourself perhaps even loving this person or loving other folks just one at a time. Loving folks uh, not so much at, at an arm's distance. And, and, and maybe some of us have those moments where we want to keep folks at bay. I get it. You, you have those moments where you don't want to let them in. You just, you're just not up to being a Christian that day or being like Jesus. But I think we do our best ministry. And I'm not so sure that Jesus didn't as well. Because we have all these different examples of him doing it. Not loving at an arm's distance or at a crowd's distance. But loving at the distance of a whisper. Loving at the distance of an embrace. Or loving at the distance of a kiss on the cheek. I think Jesus did that so very well. And, and even though we need to speak to the multitudes and... The good Lord knows that you guys do that on a weekly basis. Patrick does it, you do it. And all the different streams that you have going through the world. Some of the most monumental times are just when you're looking someone face to face. And I think Jesus did a lot of that. We, we are just on the heels of thinking a great deal about Gethsemane. And about the cross. And about the empty tomb. We celebrated that recently. And, and it certainly is worth celebrating we might have also thought about that upper room. When Jesus was there with his 12 best friends in the world, already knowing that one of those best friends, actually more of them than just the one, was going to betray him. We tend to forget that. We tend to think that Judas was a lot worse than Peter, but, but Peter did the same thing, did he not? In some way, the Bible says that as Jesus was being drugged through Jerusalem, that, that most of his disciples fled. So there were 12 Judases, in some ways, it's just that we tend to know a little bit more about Judas himself because of his tragic end. He took his own life. He could have repented. He could have made right the same way that Peter did, the same way that those other folks did. It wasn't any worse. And yet, in those final moments of his life, Jesus found himself in the midst of just these 12. Not multitudes, not thousands, but just 12. So sort of kind of one-on-one. -on -one. And he would get himself up and he would take off his outer coat and he would get on his knees with a bowl of water. 
he would wash these feet. And, and maybe the feet needed it because in that day and time we know at the very best, maybe they had open-toed sandals and they walked through dusty roads and roads where there had been animals and so the stuff they leave. And so you, you would, might find yourself, your feet are dirty. So did they need it as far as just being clean? Maybe. But that's not why he was doing it. He was doing it because he wanted to love them um, one at a time. And I can only imagine in, in, in my mind to think about as he's on his knees very carefully and very tenderly and very, with great sensitivity taking each set of feet and taking his time. I, I don't know how long it took to do that. I don't know that anywhere in Scripture it says that. You know, it took an hour. It took two hours. It took half a day to wash those feet. I would like to think that Jesus took his time. And that he caressed their feet very lovingly and very tenderly to, to try to explain to them, this is how much I love you. Perhaps one of the most humble, some would say one of the most humiliating things that you could do is to wash someone's feet. And yet he did that, beginning with number one, all the way down to the last. And Judas perhaps was somewhere in between. Maybe you've seen several of the memes recently. Uh, we know what a meme is now. We wouldn't know what a meme was 20 years ago, but at any rate... There would be some story, but it would still end with, and he washed Judas' feet as well. Even knowing, even knowing what, what, what was about to happen, he didn't single him out. He didn't say, you're not worthy. He didn't say, you need to leave while I'm doing this because I care more about them than I do you. No, not at all. He included Judas just like he included the rest of them. He wanted to encourage them before he left. Because even though they had hoped, they had thought, they had planned that he was going to come back and set up an earthly kingdom, that was not the plan of God. That yes, Jesus, Jesus would be resurrected, and yes, he would, he would hang out with them a little bit longer, but that he, he would ascend back to his heavenly Father. And he was trying to explain to them, I'm about to leave. And so very much like a quarterback would do in football, I'm about to hand you the ball and you've got to run with it. I'm, I'm, I'm about to give you this because I'm not going to be here physically with this any longer. Yeah, I'll be around. The, the, the comforter is going to be sent. You know, it used to be God with us. It's about to be God in us. But he said, I'm about to hand you this ball. I'm, I'm, I'm about to, to leave this with you. And I think what he was trying to explain to them, and something that I have to remind myself of all the time, is it, 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 as far as our Christianity and as far as our evangelism and as far as our trying to be a witness, it's not so much about what you know. You can know a whole lot of information and be a scholar, but not be in tune with Jesus. You can know book, chapter, and verse from Genesis to Revelation and be able to quote it all at the drop of a hat. I can't do very much of that. i got to have my notes. i got to be able to read. But just because you can do those things does not necessarily mean that you're doing what God needs you to do. Yeah, I'm not saying that memorizing Scripture and having knowledge is a bad thing. It's not at all. But if you just completely depend on that, probably more things that we need to do. A theological understanding, a, a, a church in involvement, all those things are important, but those aren't the most important things. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a passage very familiar to all of you, 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, then I'm only a loud gong. 
If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all these mysteries and have all of this knowledge, but if I have faith and if I can move mountains, but if, if I don't have love, then it, he says it's nothing. He even says, if I give all I possess to the poor, and we just heard a story about that. If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames, I would give everything that I have. But if I do not do that with love, then I have no gain of anything that's valuable. And, and so the Apostle Paul says, you can have all of this, the t-shirt and the bag of chips. But if, if, if that is without love, if, if that is without compassion, if that is without sincerity, if that is without a smile, a genuine smile, he said it's void and it's, and it's vain. And in, in, it, and in many ways, it's, he says it's very, it's very useless. Jesus would say, just after the feet had been washed in John 13, maybe they're still moist from the water. He tells his disciples this, and he could have told them a lot. He could have left them with several different words about what was most important about the Torah, you know, the Ten Commandments. I mean, they didn't have Scripture as we have it. I think Patrick reminded you recently that a lot of these folks couldn't even read, much less write. And so he had to keep it very simple. And I think simple is good. He said, a new commandment I give to you. John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this shall all mankind know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. Um, you know, it always struck me, and I stumbled on this just a little bit. Maybe you had the same experience. When he said, a new commandment I give you, I thought, well, golly, surely, surely that wasn't brand new to him. I mean, I know the Old Testament was full of a lot of seemingly some horrible things. A lot of war, a lot of killing, a lot of destruction, seemingly not as much love. And yet we can certainly find moments of love being taught, being being shared in the Old Testament. I said, well, how can this be new? And then it occurred to me not terribly long ago. He said, a new commandment I give you that you should love. And here's the new part, that you should love as I have. Because that was new. Regardless of what you believe about the Trinity, I believe in it. And Jesus had always been around from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all that. But physically, he had only been with them. And, and if it's true, you know, the ministry lasted about three years. He says, this is the new part I, I know you know to love. You, you, you love your children. That's, that's not new. You love your friends. You especially love those who love you. But he says the new part is, I want, you need to love folks the way that I have loved you. This, this sacrificial love. He didn't say folks will know that you are a follower if you're wearing the WWJD bracelet. And that's fine. That's good. You may have one on. I've got them. Nothing wrong with it at all. He didn't say, if you've got a Nick Thuse sticker on the back of your vehicle, or I go to church at Safe Harbor, whatever it might be. Uh, and by the way, I, I skipped the best part of this whole sermon. I told Patrick, we were talking a week or two ago, and I, I told him I felt such a kinship to our Safe Harbor that I saved a spot on my arm, and I was going to put an Our Safe Harbor uh, yeah, lighthouse on there. I said that. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But, but anyway, I said it. I said it. But I might, since you, it seems you to thrill you. So I'm going to, I may do that. And I said, you and I should do the same thing. 
And he said, and ruined this beautiful blank canvas, you know? Or he said, like, he said, it was sort of like being, you know, Michelangelo's, uh, what, what, what is it? Michelangelo's uh, statue of David, you know, ruin that, you know? So <laughs> at any rate, uh, Patrick, I'm still, I'll get one if you get one. I promise you. We, we, maybe I should challenge him to do that. I don't know where he could get it where you can hide it and we'll both get one. And boy, I've got you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so at any rate, at any rate. Um, now I've been lost in my spot, but I wanted to get that in. <laughs> but he didn't say folks will know that you love others by your very strict interpretation of Scripture and adherence to that and judgment of those who don't. Amen. I know some of us, I know some of you well enough to know that you've been a part of that with me, and, and yeah. I'm somewhat ashamed of that, but it, it is what it was. I, I've, I've learned to do better. But he didn't say that folks will know that you love if... if if you do all of these things, folks will know that you love me. If, if you know how to shame and scold and belittle folks on social media because of, of how they voted or because of what they feel about the, the mass mandate or because of what they feel about the, the, the vaccine, because of what they feel about whatever social thing is going on at the time. Well, folks will know you're a Christian by the way that you look down on them, by the way that you're ugly to them, by the way that you're hateful to them, by the way that you respond to them. No. He didn't say that. He said, here's how folks, and I've underlined it in my Bible. It's just two simple words. They will know. There's not going to be any doubt in their minds. Let's be honest. We, we all sort of base, at least initially, what we think about someone on their appearance. We just do. We just do. Yeah, okay. And, and, and I understand this very, very well. Now, that's, it's my own undoing or doing. Um, didn't get my first tattoo till I was in my th 30s. And then it just kind of kept going and kept going. But one of the reasons was because I thought, you know, there's a lot of people in the world who, who believe in God. And who want to be a part of a fellowship somewhere. But they have some of this, you know, or maybe they have really long hair, or some piercings, or they don't have, you know, they wear different clothes, whatever. And, and those folks, probably there are some places, a lot of places that they don't feel comfortable. So, you know, maybe I should do my part in trying to help them to feel comfortable. Amen. Maybe my washing of feet in a very symbolic way is to say, look, it's okay. Been married and divorced five times? It's, it's okay. You've been in prison. You've been convicted of a, of a crime that you did. It's okay. You've been involved in, in adultery and alcoholism and drug abuse. And, and you did. <clears throat> but it's okay. It's not okay that you did it. But God can make all that right. His only son died so that he could. That is how people will know that we love each other by these, these kindnesses in our, in our lives. Here's, here's a word that I think made Jesus' ministry so impactful. And it is simply the word proximity. Because he allowed others to get close to him. Look, I get that it's against some of your DNA and, and the way that you're wired to let folks into your inner circle. I get it. 
And, and we've been around people who were like, well, they're kind of cold. Well, they don't mean to be. Something very traumatic may have happened in their life to where they do keep folks at, at an arm's distance. And, and maybe with some counsel, some therapy, and some love, that, that'll, that'll get better. But Jesus didn't seem to have any problem with letting folks very close to him. In the, the early story of, of Jesus being born into the world, we're told that his name was Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. He, he is in close proximity to us. He, he didn't love us from, from far away. He, he has loved us from, from, from a very close distance, proximity. I love the message version of John chapter 1, verse 14. The message version says, And the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> and the Word became flesh and blood, Jesus. And He moved into the house beside of you. And it doesn't matter which part of the city you live in, the good part or that part on the other side of the tracks. He, he's moved into the house Beside of you. He wants to be near you. He, he wants to be your, your neighbor. Proximity lets you know that you are being cared for. And, and, that you, and that you care. Now some of those interactions that Jesus had. They seemed planned. And yet more often than not. They seemed very, very fluid and, and very organic. And they just... They just sort of happened. He would just show up at, at, at just the right time. Um, I know some have a very difficult time going to a funeral home. And I, and I get it. Or have a difficult time going into a, a hospital where someone maybe doesn't have long to live. Or going into a nursing home. Let's be honest. Even the most wonderful facility at times, a nursing home was not the most pleasant place to be. Not pleasant sights, not pleasant sounds, not pleasant smells. It's just not. Um, and yet, during those moments, especially at a funeral home, and maybe not so much if someone has lived to be a ripe old age of 100 and they've died, we're like, oh, we can kind of show up at that funeral home with a smile and hey, if they were a Christian, they've gone on to a better place. It's not that difficult. But to show up in a difficult moment where someone has been taken very tragically, suddenly, young, old. One of our fears is I don't know what to say. And I'm afraid that if I go and I say something that it's going to be the wrong thing. Let me tell you, I don't know if there's much right to say at a moment like that. What they need is for you to show up. And they are going to remember, they're just going to remember far more about what they saw than what you say. If they saw you, and all you did was walk up to them at the head of that casket, and you hug their neck, and you say, I love you, and turn and walk away, you said all you need to say. They're going to remember far more about what they saw than what you say in, in close proximity. I believe the social media, I may be wrong, perhaps part of its intent was to bridge us together and to connect us, and, and certainly it's done that. Hey, listen, without social media, without all this wonderful technology, our safe harbor would not be what it is today. 
you would not be able to have your minister to be in another state with some other folks and, and watch live as this is going on. I mean, technology is wonderful. It's marvelous. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. But on the flip side of that, I'm not so sure that social media hasn't distanced us as well. That, that, it's, that perhaps it's in some ways created a great deal of loneliness and anxiety because now mine is not as good as yours. You're posting yours on Instagram. Now I've got to go try to find one of those. I don't know if the story is true. Probably isn't. But Elon Musk was interviewed recently. You know, Elon, pretty, pretty wealthy fellow. Pretty smart. Worth about $280 billion with a B. It's a lot of millions of dollars. Still a fairly young fella. And yet he's been married and divorced three times. He has six sons, who I don't know what the relationship is with those sons. And it is told, don't know if it's true or not, that he recently sold all of his homes around the world. And he now lives in a $50,000 home. Probably far less than what you paid for yours. And the interviewer was asking him about this. It seems odd. Here is a, a billionaire. Could live literally anywhere in the world. Could buy countries if he wanted. And yet he has chosen to liquidate, sell all this stuff. It's not because he needed the money. And to live in maybe something that's not much bigger than the sound stage. I don't know what $50,000 buys you now. It ain't much. The interviewer asked him about this, you know, reduction in living. And he said, how can you be happy in a massive home where there are no footsteps echoing in the hallway? No matter how big the house is. If if you're the only one there and there's no footsteps in the hallway echoing to enjoy it, then where is the real benefit? He said he had struggled with loneliness from the time he was a child. There are some things that money cannot purchase. It'd be nice to have. We'd be foolish to think that we, you know, if you want to buy eggs now or gas, you need it. (laughs) But isn't that sad? That he didn't feel like he has anyone in close proximity to him to genuinely care and love him. I'm sure he has a lot of people that want to be. But you know that with that amount of wealth, he's always on guard thinking, well, you're only here because I can, whatever. Jesus needs us to love in close proximity. I don't have time to go through all of it. You know, he spent time with the rich people. Zacchaeus, I need you to come down. I'm going to your house today. Close proximity. Samaritan, woman at the well, I know you don't have much, but I can give you this living water that will last forever. I want to spend time with you today. Close proximity. In Luke 14, Luke would tell us about Jesus going to this house of this Pharisee and he had all these folks there. And he said, hey, this is fine and great, but you need to go on the highways and the byways and invite some of these other people. Invite the tattooed, invite the scarred, invite the pain, invite the divorce, invite the imprisoned, invite the fill in the blank. Because those are the people that 
Those are the people that need the gentle touch of the Savior. And they can get that and they can receive that through you. They can receive an embrace from the Savior when they receive an embrace from you. They can receive an encouraging word and an uplifting moment from their Savior when they receive that from you. By just simply loving in close proximity. By loving one at a time. And we need to remember that just because you're in close proximity with someone does not always mean that you're necessarily present. Happens to me. We'll be sitting in our comfortable seats at home and we're in the evening and we're relaxing and I'm involved in something and I hear something over here, but it's Charlie Brown's teacher. It's just wah, wah, wah. Charlie Brown, for those of you you don't know it, YouTube it. <laughs> Linus. But I'm, I, it's supposed to, it's Angie's voice, but I'm just hearing wah, 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 because I'm doing something else. And then eventually there's silence and I look up and I'm kind of getting one of these, you know. What did I just say? Well, then you got to scramble and try to, you know, pretty much lie and hope that you're right. So we're in close proximity. I can reach out and touch her, but I'm not present. I'm not being intentional. I think Jesus was very unhurried. I don't think Jesus would do... Well, I don't have my phone. I left it, so it's good. But I don't think Jesus would, while he's talking to you, reach out and, oh, let me get this real... That's, that's rude. We've got to stop doing that. And it's taken... It, it's, it's been work for me. I, I, um, I, I've, I've had such a hard... You feel it buzzing. Oh, i got to answer it. I got, you feel it buzzing. You're in this deep conversation with someone, but you feel it buzzing. And, and you just... You can't stand it. <laughs> and you've got to look at it. What does that tell that person that that maybe really needed your attention, it tells them you're not as important as an update because of a, a, you know, a game, a score update, a stock market, whatever. We, we've got to stop doing that. Put those phones down. It'll wait. But this moment that you're having with someone, maybe who's in close proximity with you, that may only happen this one time. You will never get that back. That score is going to be what it is. That stock market is going to be what it is. That breaking news is going to be whatever. It, it'll be there when you get done. We have got to stop doing that. We being me. And maybe you'll benefit from it as well. As we close. I'm so glad we don't have these countdown things at Hope. <laughs> I am so glad. Uh, he, he, said, he said, you know, you got 30 minutes. You need more than 30 minutes. Then Brian, my buddy, says, well, he's going to need about 45. And I said, well, no, we won't, I, won't, I, won't, I want to be asked back. <laughs> so uh, I've got, even though it's counting down, I'm, real quick, real quick. Thank you so much. So a lot of you know who Beth Moore is. Uh, and I'll kind of get out of the way. I know Patrick does. So this is when you can come on up. Um, but Beth Moore tells this story of, of being, in a, uh, being in an airport getting ready to, to fly somewhere. And, uh, you know, she's a very well-known author and, and all that stuff. And um, she says as she was sitting there at the gate, she noticed an older gentleman in a wheelchair. And he looked a little bit disheveled. He just had a bag. Nobody was with him. And she said, I tried to ignore him because I just don't want to get involved. I'm busy. I got itinerary. So she said, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get involved. But, but the Spirit just kept knocking on her heart. 
you got to go talk to this man. And she thought that it meant she needed to go witness to him, introduce him to Jesus. So she goes over and says, how are you doing, sir? And she noticed, she thought this would be a good intro. Uh, his hair was kind of messed up. And she said he was, he was very elderly. And she said, sir, um, would you mind if I brushed your hair? And he lit up and he said, I would love for you to brush my hair. I've, I've been here for surgery. My, my wife couldn't make it. She's elderly as well. And I was kind of ashamed of how I was going to look when I got off the plane. And, and I would love for you to, to brush my hair. And, and she would appreciate that. And so she, as she's doing that, she said, um, well, I, I got to tell you, I'm a Christian. She said, are, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? She thought, this is why I'm supposed to be doing this. And he said, actually, I am. And I do. And my wife said that way back when, when we were dating, she said, I couldn't know her until I knew him. She wasn't going to be in a relationship with me until I was in a relationship with Jesus. And I thought that was powerful. And so she finished brushing his hair and gave him a hug. And she said she could not ever remember loving someone in that moment as much as she loved this old man that she didn't know. But she was a bit disappointed because she had done this thing. She thought she was supposed to go and witness this to this fellow and introduce him to Jesus. We already knew Jesus. So she was happy she did it, but a little, uh, kind of bummed, you know. Thought I was going to make a sale for Jesus. <laughs> and so, so she got on the plane. She's putting her bag up in the overhead, and she sits down and gets settled in. And a flight attendant comes walking up to her with big old tears rolling down her, eye, her face. And she said, I don't know who you are, but I saw what you did to that fellow in that wheelchair. I saw you brush his hair. She said, why in the world would you do that? And then Beth Moore said, do you know Jesus? She said, I don't. By this shall all men know that you love me. If you do it like I did. If you wash feet. If you brush hair. If you mow a lawn. If you send a note. Do those things. Love in close proximity. And we'll help to fill up heaven together.